Amen with me. Amen, amen. I want to hear from God this morning. The year was 1857 in New York City, 1857. And a man uh, named Joseph Lanier, he had just been hired as a lay missionary, a lay missionary for a Dutch Reformed church. And his job was to go around the neighborhood knocking on doors, praying with families, and inviting them in to learn more about God, inviting them to come to Sunday school. And he saw some success for the few months that he started. People started coming to the church more, and the empty Sunday schools were starting to get filled. But it was a hard job. New York wasn't like the bustling city that we think of it today. And so he would often go back to his building, his room in the conservatory of the church building, and fall on his knees and pray because of discouragement. One night, as he was praying to the Lord, he felt the prompting that he should start a prayer meeting, a simple prayer meeting on Wednesdays from 12 to 1 o'clock, the exact time that much of the businessmen in lower Manhattan had time off to go to lunch and rest. So Joseph made flyers. He passed them out to hotels. He passed them out into homes. He passed them out to other churches. And then he went into the building that Wednesday in September of 1857, and he waited. 12 o'clock rolled around, and Joseph was the only one still there. 12.15, still no one but himself. 12.25, still no one but Joseph. It wasn't until 12.30 when he heard the footsteps coming up the stairs of the first gentleman who joined him to pray. That day, a total of six men had joined Joseph to pray. The next week, Joseph held the same prayer meeting on the same Wednesday from 12 to 1, and 20 people joined Joseph. The following week after that, the third week, Joseph had 40 people join him for prayer. Six months in March of 1858, six months from the first day he started the prayer meeting, over 6,000 people were praying in New York daily in prayer meetings all throughout the city. From one prayer meeting of six people, six months later, 6,000 people were praying daily in prayer meetings all throughout the city. But it didn't just stop there. That prayer meeting in New York went from one day to five days to multiple buildings to thousands of people. One man caught the flame of God and the passion of prayer and went back to his hometown in Philadelphia, and he started a prayer meeting. In the first week, he was 22 years old. The first week, had 20. Second week, 300. The third week, 3,000. He had to rent a tent and build a tent to hold all the people. There had been, since that day, in the next year of the prayer meetings, prayer meetings popping up all over the U.S. People from India and England would sail across the sea just to be a part of these prayer meetings. God was stirring up people. Revival was coming. All from one prayer meeting on a Wednesday from 12 to 1. I want to ask a question today, a question that is simple, but I think profound for us as we go through this fast. What does Jesus desperately want us to know about prayer? There's something about prayer that is amazing, but something that Jesus wants us to know about it, that if we miss out on this detail, if we miss out on this perspective, we will miss out on much. What does Jesus desperately want us to know about prayer? I say desperately because Jesus uses this teaching and this perspective 
multiple times in the Gospels with heightened dramatic emphasis to help us get the point that this part of prayer you cannot miss. It's so important for us to lock in this morning, especially as those who are fasting, to engage because we're not just abstaining from food, right? We're seeking the Lord. Hopefully you are praying. So I want you to lean in this morning. What does Jesus desperately want us to know about prayer? I really encourage you to take notes. Here's the outline we're gonna walk through this morning. Three phases as we open up the Bible to Luke 11. You could turn your Bible to there, your phone to there. The wonder of prayer. I want us to reimagine the wonder of what prayer is. We're gonna look at the practice of prayer, specifically how Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that I think we have forgotten in this day. And then the God of prayer. Uh, We need to know who we are praying to, who we are praying to. Would you stand with me as we read Luke 11 together? Luke 11, we'll start in verse five. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, you can read it out loud with me, one, two, three. Which of you has a friend will go to at him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. He goes on to say, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit good gifts to those who ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. What a fascinating story that Jesus tells. This is not the only time in the Gospels that Jesus mentions this. It's also in Matthew 6 or 7. And uh, there's multiple stories that correlate with this. I find so much inside here challenging and awe-inspiring. And I want to start with the simple promise that Jesus offers. There's a simple promise that Jesus uh, gives us today in this passage um, that I want you just to sit with for a few moments. Here's the astounding promise. God answers those who ask. God answers those who ask. Prayer is the means of receiving. Or said another way, God responds to our seeking. God responds to our seeking. I don't know if you know this, but that's a profound promise. God answers those who ask. Prayer is effective. It works. Now, 
because I have lived in this Western world following Jesus, I know what many of you are feeling and thinking. You're feeling and thinking what I felt when I read this passage. That can't be true. I don't believe that. God answers those who ask. I mean, I believe that, Chris. I take Jesus at his word a little bit. Yes, God answers those who ask. But come on. Like, really? Does prayer really work? Does God really answer those who ask? And if we're honest, and I think honesty is a good place to start, uh, we have become cynical. I know for me, in regards to prayer, I have become cynical. I have grown skeptical at times because I've had unanswered prayers, because I've had a silent response on the other side of me praying. Anyone else besides me grow skeptical or cynical during prayer? Yeah, you answer, you're asking God and nothing seems to happen. And so what happens is in that gap, our hearts grow cold, jaded, frustrated, and we say, forget about this. It can't be this simple. Like Jesus is saying, go to me and ask and you'll receive, but I've done that and, and it's not happening. So there's either a problem with me or there's a, a problem with God and so forget about it. And then for me, because I grew up in college studying a lot of the scriptures and, and different doctors and Calvinism and Arminianism, for many years I got, I got over, I overcomplicated prayer and I thought, how does it work? How can I pray, but then God is sovereign? How can I move God's hand to do something if he already knows it's gonna happen? And I started tripping over my own feet in theology and it kept me from praying. I think Jesus was saying to us this morning as we enter into thinking through what he wants us to know about prayer, that we need to return to a childlike faith. A childlike faith. Faith. Jesus says that those who enter the kingdom, you have to enter in as a child in Mark 10. A childlike faith. Here's what a childlike faith looks like. It's, it doesn't overanalyze the mystery. It takes Jesus at his word. When I think of prayer, it's a mystery. And because prayer is a mystery, I'm confused. And because I'm a guy and wants to figure things out, I have to figure it out. And trying to figure out prayer is like Impossible. You're going to go around in circles, knocking your head against the wall, going, how does it work? And how does it, do I have to have faith? Do I have to say these words? Do I have to be this kind of way? How does God answer? And a child, when my kids ask me to do things, they don't over, overanalyze the process. They don't try to figure out what they have to do and how to twist my arm. You know what they do? They annoy the heck out of me. And they ask until they get an answer. They don't think about what's going to happen. They just ask because they have a need. Children don't overanalyze the mystery. They humbly take Jesus at his word. What would it look like for you this morning, especially as we're fasting and hopefully praying, to reset your perspective on prayer, to have a childlike faith, not overanalyze it, to chip away the hardness, the cynical stuff that has caked on your heart, the skepticism of prayer. Look what Jesus says in Luke 10 or 11. This is what we just read. And I want to make it very plain. He says, for everyone, who does that include? Shout it out. Everyone. Okay, so we're talking about everyone. Okay, no one's excluded if they're in Christ. For everyone who asks, what? Receives, and the one who seeks, what? 
finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, what I find so fascinating is Jesus doesn't say, for some people who ask, they might receive. Jesus doesn't mince words. He could have said that. He doesn't say, for everyone who seeks, you, 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 you might find, but you might not. To the one who knocks, 10 out of 20 doors might be open. No, Jesus wants us to understand a principle that whoever, want, whoever is asking and seeking and knocking, they will receive an answer. They will find what they are looking for. I love what John Stark says. He says, prayer is either the greatest insanity or the most wonderful news. Isn't that true? Prayer is either the greatest insanity or the most wonderful news. It's either something that just we're wasting our time with or it's something that is the most miraculous thing we could do. It's either a waste of time or the best use of time. There's nothing in the middle. If prayer doesn't work, we should stop praying and stop wasting our time. If prayer works, we should be praying all the time. It's either a waste of time or the best use of time. We should either stop praying or never cease to pray. Prayer is either the greatest insanity or the most wonderful news. Jesus wants you to know today, if you're a child of God, been adopted into his family through Jesus' blood, that you have access to the throne of grace. You are in the throne room, not on the outside of the throne room. You have your father's ear. Can I be honest? Uh, I believe that, but I don't act like that's true all the time. Because I believe if that was true and I had a childlike faith, I would be praying constantly for every need I had. And that's not how I pray. Maybe that's not how you pray either. You pray when you're in desperate need. You pray when something really bad happens. You pray when you're in a pinch. You pray some gratitude sprinkled over like some cheese on a pepperoni pizza. Here, there, I'll pray some gratitude over here. I'll get it done, but who's really doing what Jesus says? Keep asking. It's either the greatest insanity or the most wonderful news. And I want you to know this morning that prayer is the most wonderful news. Prayer is the most wonderful news. News. I said it this way, a Christian who is indifferent to praying is like a man who has been offered an unlimited amount of money only to grow too busy to make any actual withdrawals. That's how I see prayer. That's how I see my own life of prayer for the last 15, 16 years of following Jesus. I've been offered, if you're in Christ, you've been offered an unlimited amount of money, but somehow through busyness and skepticism and, and just whatever has happened to take our our attention, we haven't made many withdrawals. Oh, the money is there, the resources are there, the bank is full, you can withdraw anytime, but somehow we find it hard to have the faith or the time or the inclination to make the withdrawals. Too busy to make any actual withdrawals. And I want this morning, as I think about prayer, and I've been thinking about it as we've been praying more as a church, um, I want you to see it this way. I want you to see prayer this morning as a portal into a whole new world where anything is possible. You might be mad at God because he hasn't answered your prayers. You might be jaded because, like we said, it's just really hard to pray and hear nothing. 
But I want you to believe and take Jesus' words with childlike faith that prayer is a portal into a whole new world where anything is possible. Has anyone ever seen uh, or read the Chronicles of Narnia? Raise your hand. I know AJ, biggest fan over here, C.H. Lewis scholar. I, I want you to show this picture. This is how I picture prayer. This is how I've been recently picturing prayer. Lucy stumbles upon this magic wardrobe. It doesn't look magical until she opens it and walks through the coach to find that she has entered into a whole new world where things are so different than the world she was in. What if we saw prayer that way, that every time we prayed, what we thought was impossible is now possible? What if every time you prayed, you realized that all of heaven's resources were open to you? What if every time you prayed, you realized that things could actually change? We need to be honest. I think for me, it's it's easy to see that I have a functional atheism happening in my life. What is functional atheism? It is believing in God, but living like God is not real. And I find it so convicting that I can live my life uh, not praying, like Paul says, without ceasing. Because if I really realized that it was a portal into a whole new world where anything became possible, then the question is, why would I stop asking? Why would I not ask for God to move in any, in every circumstance? Childlike faith. And I love what Jesus teaches us about prayer. He says, I want you to pray about everything. He's not saying just pray about the the things that really matter to God. Everything matters to God. He says, pray for everything in Matthew 6, from the global expansion of his kingdom to the provision of bread for our daily lunch. I can't think of of, uh, everything being covered more than that. God's kingdom come, God's will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. God, would heaven come down and invade earth? That's one side of the prayer spectrum. The other side is God, give us this day, our daily PB&J. God's global expanse, heaven coming down on Oakland. And then God, would you just give me some macaroni and cheese for today? You know what that means? That God wants to meet every need that you have. His will is supposed to be done on this earth. And his will is supposed to be done in his people, in his church, to pray for everything. Jesus wants us to know that if we see a need to be met, a circumstance that requires intervention, a heart that needs changing, a door that must open, that we must cry out in prayer, believing God will move and act. That's what Jesus is teaching us in Luke 11, that if you see anything that needs to change, that my kingdom can intervene, usher into, rush in, and make better, pray about it. That's an invitation to walk through the wardrobe of Narnia every day, every moment. Childlike faith, asking for God to intervene in something that we have no control over. Anyone, raise your hand, honestly, anyone have anything in their life that they have no control over but want to change? You can't, you can't control, but you wanted to change. Hand, come on, raise your hand high. Look around. Yep, okay. So what are you doing about it if you can't change it? Jesus says, come to me and ask because I desire, I desire to change that. And not just desire, I have the power to change that. 
childlike faith to believe that anything that we see that needs to change, we can cry out to God. A circumstance, a need, a heart that would need changing, a door that needs to be open. I wanna ask you some questions. What if we saw prayer as the most miraculous thing we could do in our day? What if we reset our perspective and saw prayer as the most miraculous thing we could do every day? Not something we do before a meal. That's great. Not something we do just with other people. Not something we do at our devotional time when we're reading through the Bible. All that's necessary But if prayer is, if the offer that Jesus is making is really true, then prayer becomes the most miraculous thing you could do every day. And maybe that's why Paul said, pray without ceasing. Maybe that's why in Paul's letters, half of them will be filled with prayers to the churches. Why? Because he knew that he couldn't do anything apart from prayer. Why? Because prayer was the portal into a new world that would change everything. What if we asked God for everything that we needed without reservation? Can you imagine what could happen if you asked God for everything that you needed? Everything, small and big. I wonder if maybe some of the burden that we feel often in our days is because we are trying to carry the burden to change circumstances that only God can change. And so things become heavy and stressful and we get restless and weary and then we get mad at God for carrying a burden that he's never asked us to carry. He's not asking for fancy prayers. He's not asking for deep prayers. He's not asking for for you to pray in tongues. He's asking for you to be like a child, to come to him as a father to pray. What if we really believe God acted when his people prayed? I mean, really believe that God acted. Now, Jesus wants us to know something else about prayer. Not that it's just wonderful, and that's true, But there's a way to pray that Jesus emphasizes that I think is so fascinating. How does Jesus tell us to pray in this passage? Let's read it one more time again. I'll read it over you, Luke 11. I want just to hit you. Now with the the base foundation set that prayer is miraculous, that prayer is a wonder, that with childlike faith, things can change when we pray. Look at now with that context what Jesus is saying. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within. Don't bother me. The door is shut. My kids are sleeping. You know how hard I get my kids to sleep? My kids are sleeping. I cannot get up and give you anything. I already gave them melatonin pills. Luke 11. We don't do that often. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, his friendship doesn't even get him up. His friendship doesn't even get him up. What does give, what gives the man up? Because of his, what? Say it loud. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. And this is what the verb means in the Greek. Keep asking. Ask and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. How does Jesus teach us to pray? Really simply, we pray with persistence. We pray with persistence. We ask until we receive. We don't grow 
weary. We are like a man at midnight needing some food, banging on the door of God, asking until he opens it up. That sounds, that sounds bold. That sounds not humble. That sounds kind of wild. But you know what that word means? Persistence, not just persistence. It means unashamed boldness. It means you know who you're talking to. You know that he's going to be okay with you bothering him. And you know that you have to go wiling out to get the answer and he will eventually respond. Prayer with persistence. We ask until we receive. Can I just be honest real quick? Confess, um, I'm not good at being persistent in my prayers. I pray and the Lord has grown my prayer life and I pray more and more daily. But praying for something over and over again is very difficult. Maybe some of you know that. You pray for something for weeks, days, months, years. It's difficult to stay, especially when the answer hasn't changed. But Jesus wants us to see that those who cry out with desperation and hunger lay hold of God's readiness to bless and act. I want you to see that. Jesus is painting the picture here. Those who cry out with desperation and hunger lay hold of, grab hold of God's readiness to bless and act. Look at what Isaiah says in the Old Testament. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night, continually. Look at what this is. This is so wild. This is almost offensive, I believe. Take no rest, all you pray to the Lord, and give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. Whoa. Until he makes Jerusalem pride of the earth. I'm, I'm okay with the pray day and night, But I love the audacity that Isaiah tells Israel, give the Lord what? No rest. Don't let him sleep. Don't let him off the hook. Keep asking on his promises until he delivers. That is the posture that Jesus wants us to enter into prayer. I'm not asking and I'm not teaching you to pray about mansions and and eight-figure salaries. That's not what I'm talking about. This context assumes that you already know that you're praying in Jesus' will and Jesus' name for the things of the kingdom, which could be your daily provision and it could be salvation and it could be reconciliation. It could be a lot of good things. It's not selfish endeavors, but he's telling us this spirit here is to don't let God off the hook. If he has promised it, keep asking until he answers. I find that so, so thrilling, so challenging, but also so comforting to know that we can come to God like that. Do you know you can come to God like that and demand, not out of your, your pride, but God, I need you out of desperation. Would you act on this promise? Sure, humbly, but there's a boldness. Why? Because you're in the throne room. You're not on the outside. You're in the throne room. What you need to know about persistence is to God, persistence is a sign of faith. He says it in Matthew or Luke 18 and Matthew 15. If you notice Jesus, when he responds to faith, and it's usually only the faith of the Gentiles. We read this a couple days ago with the Canaanite woman. To Jesus, the kind of faith he responds to in the gospels seeks until it acquires its object. I want you to know that faith is not a, I throw up a prayer, cool God, and then walk away. No, 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 that's not the faith Jesus is looking for. The faith Jesus looks for 
is the faith that seeks until it acquires its object. What does that mean? Well, the Canaanite woman, she was asking for Jesus to heal her, right? And what did Jesus say? Sorry, I came for the people of God, not for you. And she asked again. And the disciples said, get her away. She keeps bothering us. And he said, sorry, you know, I'm here for the, the not, not the dogs, for the master's table. And she's like, I'll eat a crumb that falls from the master's table. And Jesus looks to her and says, wow, because of your faith, you are healed. You have received what you desired. What, what does that mean about faith? Faith keeps asking until it gets what it's seeking for. Faith keeps seeking until it acquires its object. I find that so beautiful and so challenging, but so exciting. The I, maybe the unanswered prayer over a year is not because God doesn't want to answer. Maybe he wants to see how hungry you are for it. Why would God give us something we're not really going to steward or hungry about? Now, I know a year sounds like, wow, that's, that's a long time, but I want, you to, I want you to hear this. This is from a biography on George Mueller. I want you to see what it looks like to pray this kind of praying. George Mueller began praying for five unsaved friends. Anyone, raise your hand if you're praying for unsaved people in your life. Anyone? Okay, catch this. I don't know how long you've been praying for. Listen to this. George Mueller began praying for five unsaved friends. After five years, one came to Christ. Five years of praying, one came to Christ. After 10 more years of prayer, two more were converted. Once, Mueller said in Chicago, I have prayed for two men by name every day for 35 years on land or sea, sick or well. I have remembered them before God by name and I shall continue to pray for them daily by name until they are saved or until they die. After 35 years of prayer, the fourth was saved. Mueller prayed almost 52 years and the fifth was saved just after Mueller's death. I don't know if I could do that, but I think what Jesus is saying is something like Mueller's story. That if we want the salvation of our friends and family, if we want the miracle to happen or the healing, that is it not worth seeking God for that many years in prayer? What is 50 years to God? And what is the cost of 50 years of prayer for someone's salvation for eternity? Jesus says, I want you to keep me up, to keep knocking on the door, to be persistent. That's the kind of faith I love. Why? Why persistent prayer? We've been saying this for the last three or four weeks. God comes where he is wanted. God comes where he is wanted. We've seen that all throughout the Bible. Or said another way, those who seek with all their hearts will find. Jeremiah says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isn't God worthy to be sought with all his heart, all our heart? Isn't God worthy to be sought over and over again? That's the thing, that Jesus is worthy to be sought over and over again. Not only is Jesus worthy to be sought that long, but the need is worthy to be requested that long. If you really have a need that you really need God to come through, then it would be wise, Jesus is saying, to keep on asking because those who keep on asking receive. Those who keep on seeking find. And those who keep on knocking, the door will be open to them. And I want you to know the, the implication, the backwards kind of implication of this. Jesus is saying there is a real possibility that we will end up missing out on what God desires to give us because we cease ask, 
we cease to ask and seek. I believe we can miss out. We have missed out. I have missed out on things that God desires to give me that are in his will because I have ceased asking and seeking. It's not just my idea. James says this in James 4 too. You do not have because you do not ask. What if the issue wasn't because God was withholding the blessing? What, was the, what if the issue was because we were not persistent in being hungry enough to ask and believe? What if we changed our perspective? Now, I, I know I want to be sensitive because many of us have been praying for sensitive things, kids and healing and, and reconciliation, and maybe it hasn't happened for a year or two. Maybe God did answer those prayers. I'm not here to tell you how long it will take. God is sovereign. He will take as long as he needs to. And you need to trust that God's sovereign timing is better than your timing. The picture tells us that God is a father that gives good gifts at the right time. Your job isn't to figure out what timing. Your job isn't to figure out how long. Your job, Jesus says, childlike faith, is to see that prayer is a portal into a new world that will change everything, and you just gotta keep asking until you get the answer you're looking for. Or until God really clearly says it's a no, and you understand that. Either way, you keep asking until you receive an answer. That's the heart of persistent prayer. I think of one of my favorite hymns, It goes like this, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Look what he says. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I think I have forfeited much peace and carried much pain because I have not brought much to God. Anyone else with me? What if that changed? What if that changed? Now, I want to end with the last question. Some of you are probably thinking, I don't know how to find the energy in me and the faith to be persistent for that long. That's very hard, Chris. Especially for healing. I I have experienced that from my own life. Bad sleep, back pains, issues at 34 that I should not be experiencing. I've prayed, people have prayed. I've gotten tired. I don't want to pray anymore. I'll just settle with it. I'll just settle with it. And I want you to know that the persistence in prayer is not fueled by your self-discipline. It's fueled by something greater. This is how Jesus wants us to understand the persistence in prayer, who we are praying to. Who are we really talking to? Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says this. How much more, if you who are evil, I love Jesus, he throws some shade on the whole human race. Y'all are evil. Y'all are evil. But guess what? You who are evil still give good gifts to your family. So how much more will a non-evil, perfectly righteous God give good gifts, the Holy Spirit? to those who ask him. But look what Jesus says. He puts these words in very specific detail. How much more will the what? Heavenly Father. Very important. You need to understand what Jesus is saying here because if you grasp this, I believe you will desire and have a fuel and a flame and a hunger to be more persistent than you ever have. Who are you praying to? Number one, God is your Father. It's one of the most common uses that Jesus uses to refer to God, he's our father. What does that mean? What does it mean that God is your father? It means a lot of things, but the main thing it means is that he does everything in love and for our ultimate good. 
You have to know if you're adopted into the family of God through Christ, that God does everything for your good. That means that everything that filters through the sovereign hand of God that comes into your life is good for you, even if it's painful. Even if it seems hard, even if it's painful and seems hard and seems like it's not good, you got to trust that if God is sovereign, which we'll get to, and he's a father, that everything that flows through his hand is good. Even if it's some evil that someone has caused you, you think about what Joseph says in Genesis, what you meant for evil, what God meant for good. And God can even use the things that people have done towards you that are evil and turn it out into your good. Why? Because he's that kind of father. You're in his family. You're going to get the benefit of being a part of his family. So now he's going to protect you, make sure everything that happens to you is for your ultimate good. Number two, he's in heaven. Your father is in heaven. What does that mean? He is sovereign and has unlimited resources. So if you combine those two, you're realizing that God is for me and God is sovereign over everything. So that brings us to the point of Romans 8.28 that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him. God is working all things out. He will take every circumstance, every scenario, every situation and bend it towards your good and his glory. He is sovereign. Nothing is out of his control. He has unlimited resources. And then lastly, you need to know about your father when it says how much more Jesus is trying us to realize that he is so eager to bless his children with good things. Do you know that? that your father in heaven is so eager to bless you with good things. And look at I know some of us, we haven't gotten what we've asked for. But God's view of good for us and blessing cannot be judged and held in the same view as what we think is good for us. That's not fair to God. Can I be honest? You don't know what's really good for you, and I don't know what's good for me. I'm thankful that God's not answered every prayer of mine. If he did, I wouldn't be here. I would have got blessings I couldn't have handled. I would have got things. I would have got pain taken away that wouldn't have formed me. God answers every prayer, but he gives you what is good for you. We keep on asking until we receive what we need, not because God is reluctant, but because we know we are praying to our loving father who eagerly desires to use all of heaven's resources for our ultimate good. We're not praying and keep on asking because God is reluctant and stingy, but because he's a father worthy to be sought. And he's so worthy and so good, we keep on asking because we know at the right time he will give us what we need. Do you have that kind of faith in prayer? Look at Romans 8 says, if God is for us, is God for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, God did not spare Christ Jesus who went to the cross, who bore the penalty of death in your place for sinners and enemies of his. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Then how will he not also along with Jesus, what does it say? Graciously give us all things. You know the argument here God is making If God the Father has given you Jesus as a sacrifice to reconcile you to God and take away your sins and to justify you, how will he not give you everything else? The greatest thing God has given you is Jesus. Everything else is lesser than that. And if God gave you the greatest gift, Jesus, he will give you everything else you need. Amen. I'm putting that check to the bank and cashing it. 
If God gave you Jesus, if you believe you are in Christ, then you should realize that God's heart is for you and wants to give you everything good. And yes, he is sovereign. It looks different. But you can trust that as you seek him until you receive the good things that you need are coming through his hands. Here's how I want and desire for our hunger to grow and change as we pray. May we pray like children to our Father, asking until we get what we need, crying out until help comes our way. Why? Because he is worthy of our persistence. He's worthy of our persistence. He's worthy of us asking more than a few times. He's worthy of us crying out. We do so many things. We have so much desires that we exercise until we get what we want. Shouldn't God be our greatest desire? And how does that, how do you know God's your greatest desire? Because you keep on knocking until he answers. You don't give up because he's worthy and you are so needy. He's worthy of our persistence. Childlike faith to believe that the Father in heaven wants to answer your prayers. So here's what I want to do. I want you to go and share with one person. It's our formation discussion. If you're new here, we get in groups at the end, face each other and, and share what God is doing. Here's the question I want you to process. What is the one thing, what is the one thing that you have stopped praying for that you need to start praying for again? There has to be something in your life that you have stopped praying for. You started, then your heart got a little cold and jaded. God didn't answer. It came and it went. You just need a belief that God is gonna answer, then you have to keep seeking. What is the one thing? There's probably multiple ones, but share one thing. Quickly, share one thing you've stopped praying for that you need to start seeking God for again in faith. And then I want you to pray fervently with each other. Can we do that? Be honest with your, with your prayer. Let's be real. And then let's cry out. If you have to, get, to your, get on your knees, get on your knees, but let's ask God and be vulnerable before him and then commit to the Lord that we would see him as a father that's worthy to be sought. Let's do that now. Break up in groups of two or three. We'll come back and worship. And I want to share the end of the story of the New York revival. So seven minutes on the clock. Share what you need to pray for. And let's pray together and seek the Lord.